0: Well, if you thought that you were going to get Pastor Rob this morning, you're not. You're going to get me. Praise God. And... And excited that uh, here we are, week four of our Big Days, Bad Days series we've been in uh, for the first part of the summer here. And in this series, we've been talking about um, how we experience both of those in our lives, right? We have big days. We have days that we look forward to, days that we put on our calendar, days that we plan for and anticipate. But we also all have bad days sometimes, don't we? We do. Sometimes we have bad days. Sometimes we have um, legit reasons for the bad days that we have. Other times we kind of have some silly reasons, that things that put us in a bad mood or give us bad days. But um, the truth is we all have them, right? We all have bad days. And last week, if you were here, Pastor Rob talked about what was probably one of the worst of the worst bad days, and that is the day of death. And uh, we talked about how all of us in our lives were touched by death and how um, how it's it's a difficult thing, and I hope that if you were here, you you were reminded of the truth that that we can face death with hope, right? right. We can face death with victory, knowing that that Jesus has overcome death in the grave. And I hope that uh, in spite of always the grief and the sadness that comes with comes with death, that we never grieve without hope because of Jesus. And so, but today we're going to turn the corner, okay? Today we're done talking about those bad days, right? Today we're going to talk about what many people consider one of the uh, the biggest of the big days in our lives, and that is our wedding day. And more importantly, the marriage that follows that big day. But before we do, uh, before we dive into this, I just I got a couple disclaimers. Okay, first of all, is this this is a huge topic. When Pastor Rob uh, invited us to, uh, to speak on this topic, I started thinking about all the books that I've read and all the seminars that I've attended and all of the, the lessons that I've learned and the lessons that I've taught over 20-plus years of ministry, and um, to try and condense all that into a 25-minute message, yeah, not possible. <laughs> and I also know that, um, that not everyone that I'm talking with here today is married, Right? We're not. We're not all married. There's some of us here who are single. We've never been married. Uh, some who are single. You've previously been married, but you're not married now. Some of you, that was by your choice. Some, it was uh, It was by the choices of somebody else. Maybe you're here today, and you were widowed. Uh, there are some that may be here that you're engaged, and you're going to be married soon. Uh, some may be here, and you're, you're dating, and you may be married someday. There are some people that want to be married that aren't there are some people who are married that don't want to be there are some people that aren't married that don't ever want to be married you hear what I'm saying right there I mean we we, we we're all in different spots and you wrap all of those into with all of us who are married and and uh the task today talking about the big day can be a little bit overwhelming but uh, I gotta tell you I think I'm up for the task today all right I believe that God has given me direction. I believe that, that I have a word for you in this place today. And my goal is for, for everybody who hears this today to gain a measure of insight, a little bit of insight into how you and I, how we can best love one another in a world that is full of broken people, broken relationships, because I believe that we can all, every single one of us, have strong, godly, healthy relationships that go the distance, right? I believe that, I believe that. And so with that, let me, um, let me take you back to the date of August 2nd, 1997, because in less than, less than a month, Jamie and I, we are gonna be celebrating our 21st wedding anniversary. Yeah. I know, I, I know what you're thinking. We don't look nearly old enough. So we don't look nearly old enough to be married for 21 years, right? Let me show you this picture from our wedding day. Isn't that, oh, isn't she gorgeous? Isn't she gorgeous? I did have hair. That, that proves it. That proves it. So, so as I mentioned, in just under a month, we're going to be celebrating our 21st wedding anniversary. And I got to tell you, it has been 21 years of pure marital bliss. I mean, like you, we never fight. Never we we always agree on everything. It's it's just amazing. It's like lollipops and rainbows. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, I, I got to tell you a story. I remember um, three months into our into our marriage. We've been married for three months, and uh, let me just say, yes, I have permission to share this story. Before I do that, three months into our marriage, and uh, I'm getting ready to climb in bed after a long day's work, and. Jamie's already in bed, and, and, and as I'm coming into the room there, I've, I realize that she's crying. And uh, guys, uh, if you're married or if you're in a relationship for any length of time, you're going to have experienced this. Your wife is crying, teary-eyed, and you have no idea why. <laughs> you're clueless, and you kind of have this moment of like, uh-oh, what did I do? <laughs> oh, So, so being the, 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 the good husband that I think I am, I, I put my arm around her, and I say, sweetheart, what what's wrong, sweetheart, and um, I, was, I was totally unprepared for her answer, because uh, through her tears, she looked at me, and she said, I don't want to be married anymore. <laughs> three months. How many of you know, that if you're three months into your marriage, and your wife says, I don't want to be married anymore, you know you got a problem, right? <laughs> Oh, now obviously we survived that encounter, and, and, and thankfully it wasn't that she didn't want to be married to me anymore, we were, we were just in that time of transition, of moving from, from living that independent, um, single lifestyle into a, a married, interdependent lifestyle um, with all the responsibilities and the finances, and it was such a big change, it was, it was just a moment where it was overwhelming, but thankfully we made it through, Amen. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm a blessed man, um, 21 years with a godly woman, 21 years with someone I knew who loves me and who's committed to our, uh, to our marriage. I, I couldn't be more blessed. And so I honor my wife with that for sticking with me for 21 years. But uh, I'm sure that, that all of us, we could point to times in our relationships. We could look back over the years. We could look back, whether it's a marriage relationship, whether it's a family relationship, we can look back to moments where it was tough and moments where maybe we experienced something that was unexpected and it was difficult. And you and I were never in relationships for very long before hopefully we realized that relationships take work, don't they? It takes work. We might think, how come how come this doesn't just come natural? Shouldn't if it's love, shouldn't it just come naturally? Well no, relationships take work. Anything worth getting good at takes work to get better at. And if we're smart in the moments that we find ourselves where it seems like everything might be going wrong, in those moments we're not just gonna retreat within ourselves, but we're gonna look for wisdom from God and how to navigate, how to make it through, how to to get through those difficult times. And I'm convinced that if we do this thing called marriage God's way, I believe our big day will lead to our best years. And that's the goal. We want our big day to lead to our best years. Nobody wants their big day to lead to their worst years, right? And so I wanna just ask the questions. What does God say about marriage? What does God tell us about how to do relationships Right? Why is marriage such a big deal to God? To help us answer these questions, here's what we're going to do today. In the next few minutes, we're going to just look back at the very, the very first marriage in the Bible. We're going to look at the first husband and wife. Then we're going to, then we're going to look way ahead to the very end, to the very last wedding that will ever be. And then after that, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to just going to take a moment to look in the mirror to look at our relationships, to see if, if you and I, if we're reflecting the kind of love that God intends as the blueprint for a successful relationship. And I think it's important that we do that. It's important that you and I are, are continually taking time to reflect, to look back and see if how we are living lines up with God's design. You know, there's a, a, a tendency in our society to try and look for ways to skirt around God's design. How can we find a way to do it our own way And we try to recreate or redefine God's design, but when we do that, it's only gonna lead to confusion. It only leads to hurt, and it leads to pain in our lives. You see, even though each one of us have free will, like we do, we have free will. We can choose and we can do whatever we wanna do in this life, but we don't get to just make up our own definition of what's right and wrong. Not in relationships, not in any area of our life. We don't get to just do our own thing in life, even though we want to and, and we think that, that we, you know, we shouldn't think that we can just pick and choose which areas of life we're going to live in obedience to God. Uh, the, the theologian, St. Augustine, he said this, he said, if you believe what you like in the gospels and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel you believe, but yourself. Let me say that again. If you believe what you like in the gospels and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, it's yourself. And as a follower of Jesus, our goal needs to be to bring our lives into alignment with the things that Jesus taught. And it's our responsibility to live a life of obedience to the truth of God's word. I think that is what determines whether we're successful in this life or not. And so marriage, marriage is God's idea. Marriage, it's his design from the very beginning And if we want to see how this husband and wife relationship should be, I think we need to go all the way back to to Genesis chapter 2, way back in the beginning, before the fall, before sin entered the picture. I want to read to you from Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 18. It says this, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening Then the Lord God made woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. You know, it's interesting that at this point in creation, Everything that God had made, he said was good. Everything up to this point. But this is the very first time that God looked around and he said, wait a minute, something's missing. Something's not right. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a a helper who is just right for him. One translation uses the phrase, a suitable helper. And this is how God designed the husband and wife relationship to be. Before all sin broke loose husband and wife working together, that woman would be for the man a suitable helper. Now I know that when we hear that word helper, it, it brings up images for us today of, of maybe like an assistant or, or like an aide or something that, that is inherently subservient or inferior or lower in status, but, but that's not what God was saying. That's not what the Bible says. I wanna look at this word that's translated helper in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word is the word ezer and it appears 21 times in the Old Testament. That's, that's a lot, 21 times. Two of those times, it's right here in reference to Eve as a helper to Adam. Three times in the Old Testament, this word is used and it refers to a stronger or a more powerful nation that the nation of Israel came into an alliance with for military help. So the word Ezer describes a stronger or a more powerful nation. The other 16 times that this word is used in the Old Testament, it's used to describe God himself coming alongside of us to help us in trouble. Think about that for a moment. In case you missed it, every time this word is used in Scripture, it refers to the stronger party. It refers to the stronger nation or to God himself. There is no reason to think that this word that's translated helper means uh, assistant or servant or somehow second in command. That is a a presupposition that we bring to the text, but that's not what God was saying. That's why Adam can say when, when he sees woman, he can say not just wow at last. He says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Literally, that means she is my equal. In creation, woman was not a a subordinate position, but an equal, side-by-side helper. Maybe you've heard this before from the great commentator, Matthew Henry, when he speaks of the relationship between a man and a woman. He said that the woman was made out of a rib, out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved and isn't that a a beautiful description yes god instituted different roles for the husband and for the wife and and yes those roles were affected adversely by the fall we can read that in chapter 3 of genesis but the fall did not change the fact that god made the woman equal in status to the man husbands men Don't ever think that your wives or ladies are in any way less than or beneath us. Don't ever do that. Because it's together, it's side by side that we form a complete image of who God is. It's it's together, it's side by side, working together that Adam and Eve were given the task of, of tending the garden. You see, God set this incredible, this beautiful garden in place and he needed a couple on mission, working together to bring it all of its beauty to life. And I think that's a message that's consistent throughout Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. It's been God's message all along, that your marriage is to help achieve the larger plan that God has in store. We're teammates. We work together, working side by side to accomplish the mission and the work that God has for us. And that's how it was from the beginning, and that's, that's how it should be until, until the very end. And so the Bible begins with this beautiful marriage. But it also ends with a marriage. In Revelation chapter 19, I'm going to read from there in just a moment, just four chapters from the very end of the Bible, there's this incredible scene that is described, and it's called the wedding supper of the Lamb. I want to read it to you from Revelation chapter 19. I'm going to start at verse 6. It says, then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the lamb. These are true words that come from God. Man, talk about a big day, right? I mean, this is gonna be the biggest of the big days. And in this day, we see another example of why marriage is so important to God, and that's this. It's because marriage is a template for the world to see Christ's relationship with his church. Marriage is is a picture of Christ's relationship with his church. There are lots of places throughout the scriptures that speak of Jesus as the groom, as the bridegroom, and the church as his bride. One of the most familiar is in Ephesians chapter five. In verse 31, it says this, as the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one, echoing what we just read in Genesis a few moments ago. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. So Jesus is the groom, and and the church is the bride, and this wedding feast is is to celebrate Jesus and his church finally being together forever. We live in the engagement period, and we're engaged now, but in this moment, the engagement's over, the marriage is here, the wedding day is here. I tell you what, it's gonna be the only true storybook they got married and lived happily ever after. (laughs) That's it, this is the only one. Because the marriage that you're in now, if you're married, I'm sorry to tell you this, but it isn't forever. It's not eternal. The marriages that we're in, our earthly marriages, are till death do us part. But our relationship with Jesus is forever. Our relationship with Jesus is forever goes on into eternity that's why the most important relationship that you and I have in our life is our relationship with Jesus it's the relationship we take with us into eternity so marriage begins way back with Adam and Eve and it will culminate with this wedding feast of Jesus and his bride the church but what about here and now I mean here we are somewhere in between the beginning and the end we're trying to figure out how to make this all work right Well, I'm glad to tell you that God gives us a blueprint on how you and I can make the most of our relationships. I think he gives us what some would say the secret to a healthy marriage that really isn't a secret at all. But before we look at this blueprint, I have a question for you. Uh, How many of you, when you got up this morning, at some point you you looked in a mirror? Anyone? I'll try not to reflect too much light on you. You looked in a mirror, right? Now, I know getting up in the morning, stumbling to the bathroom, and looking in the mirror for most of us isn't the most pleasant thing we can do in the day, right? But we do. We look in a mirror. We, 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 we look in a mirror to uh, to fix our hair and to um, you know wash our face, maybe shave, maybe if you're going to put on some makeup, try to look as good as you can for the before you jump out and face the day. Listen, here's what I want you to do. Here's why I have this right here because whenever you hear the scripture from now on, I want you to think about this. This is the mirror that we hold up. This is the mirror that we look into to see if the love that we are exhibiting in our lives and in our relationships lines up with what God tells us is what love really is. And I want you to think about it and I want you to regularly think about Every time you look in a mirror, I want you to think about this scripture here because this scripture is the blueprint for a successful marriage and really for successful relationships of any kind. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to read, I'm going to read almost the whole chapter. And it says this. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor, if I give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I just, let me just pause right there because, you know, I think one of the reasons that so many people have difficulties and problems in their marriage is because they're trying to live like adults, but they're still acting like children. What do you mean, Pastor Mark? That sounds mean. Well, think about it. Children are selfish. They're self-centered. They can be over-emotional. They can be sometimes downright petty. Come on, if you have kids, you know what I mean, right? Kids haven't matured. They haven't gained the ability to process and think through all that stuff yet. And there are way too many adults that are trying to live in a marriage relationship, but they've never put away that kind of thinking. Paul says, When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. What Paul is saying is this He says, If we're going to get this love thing right, we need to grow up, we need to mature in the way that we interact with one another. Man, how many of you heard how, you know, the, the, little, the, the thought of you know, a kid you know, playing? Well, if I can't win, I'm going to take my ball and go home. We laugh at that, but how many of us live that way in our relationships? Man, if I can't win, I'm not even, even going to play. Man, and I tell you what, sometimes some of the, the ways that I hear couples talking to each other, name-calling, and come on, it's childish, it's petty. If we're gonna be successful in our relationships, we need to to put the ways of childhood behind us. Stop being selfish, stop being self-centered, stop being over emotional, stop being petty. That's what children do. We need to be better than that, amen? I love what it says in verse eight. It says love never fails. Love never fails. Real love never, ever, ever fails. I know that sometimes it might seem like it does. We look around in our world, we look around at maybe even people that we know or people that we're close to, people that we care deeply about when they give up on their relationships, when they give up on their marriages. But listen, when two people choose to operate in real love, love like it's described in these verses, I guarantee they will be successful. Love never fails. Real love never, ever fails. I think the problem is, is that in our society, we've, we've so diluted or disguised what real love is that it can be really hard to choose and stay on the right path. I mean, think about this. If you pick up the mirror of, of Disney and make that what you're trying to have in your relationship, Come on, how many of you watch some of those Disney movies? I watch them, and I'm like, blah, I'm like, that's not what relationships are about. Or if you pick up the mirror of the, the 47 bajillion pop songs that are played on the radio every day that talk about love and, and, and all the stuff, man, what a joke. That's not what relationships are about. But if that's the mirror you're holding up to, thinking this is what a relationship should be, you are in for a world of hurt. No, it's, it, it's only God's kind of love. It's only his commitment that, that you have to model your relationship after. It's not our societies. If we want to be successful, we got to do love the way God tells us what love is all about. It's, it's God's never-ending pursuit to fulfill his vows to us. It's his unconditional love that we must pattern our relationship after. When we, when we do it God's way, we will have a love that will not fail. And so let me, let me read this description again a little bit. Love is, love is patient. Gets me right there already. Love is patient. How many times are we impatient with our spouse or with our friends? I mean, how often do we we just, we're just like, ugh. Love is patient. Love is kind. Are you? Are you in your marriage? Are Are you kind with your words? Do they edify in the tone of your voice? Are you kind? Are you gentle or are you short? Are you cutting? With your words. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. I wondered do you always have to have the last word? Are you more excited when your spouse succeeds than when you do? Love does not dishonor others. It could be a whole message right there. Love is not self seeking. Man, are you more concerned with getting your needs met or with meeting the needs of your spouse? Love is not self-seeking. Our human nature is self-seeking. But love seeks the good of the other, not yourself. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Ouch. Ouch. When you get into a disagreement and an argument, do do all the times that your spouse let you down or failed you, does it come back around? Oh yeah, well remember when. Love keeps no record of wrongs. There is no remember when anymore. Have you learned to forgive? And more importantly, have you learned to leave the past in the past? You know, we live our lives in forward. (laughs) How many of you wish sometimes you could live your life in reverse and do things over? You can't. We live our lives in forward. Leave the past there. There's nothing you're going to drag from the past that's going to make your relationship better. Leave the past hurts there. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Love always trusts. Wow, this is a hard one sometimes, isn't it? Especially if you've been You've been let down. By the way, your spouse will always let you down. Like, that's just the way we are. We're all broken. We will let you down. But the question is, in spite of being let down, do you still choose to believe the best? Are you willing to take the risk of trusting again when that trust has been broken? You see, real love always trusts. Doesn't say real love trusts, You know, when it feels like what we're trusting is trustworthy. No, real love always trusts. And that goes hand in hand with with real love always hopes. We can trust because we also always hope. Come on, we believe the best is yet to come. We're going to believe that there's more ahead of us. We're going to believe that there's good things ahead for us. Love always hopes. And love always perseveres. And because it always perseveres, that's why I can say, and that's why Paul said real love never fails. It never fails because it never gives up. It never gives up on each other. That's what real love is. So when you look in the mirror of uh, 1 Corinthians, hi. When you look in the mirror of 1 Corinthians 13, what do you see looking back at you? I mean, what do you see looking back at you? Is the love that, that you're living in your marriage, is it reflecting the truth of what real love is or does it look more like the mirrors in the funhouse at the state fair? <laughs> let me ask you this question. This is, an, this is a question that's always challenging to me. What would it be like to be married to you? <laughs> or if you're not married, what would it be like to be your friend? Be honest with yourself. Are you someone that you would want to be married to? Are you somebody that you would wanna be married to in your attitudes, in your actions, your words, your commitment, the way that you treat your spouse? Are you someone that you would want to be married to? And if not, let me tell you, do something about it. Change. Come on, let's grow up. Let's get better. Let's get on our knees before God and say, God, help me to be the kind of person that I need to be. We need to quit making excuses for bad behavior. Come on, don't let yourself be a victim of the bad examples that you've seen in in your life. We all have bad examples of relationships, but that doesn't mean that we have to continue that. We can break that. We can ask God, Lord, help me to be who I need to be. Set a new course for your life, for your marriage. Come on, look in the mirror. Strive to be true to those that you love. Try to let your love be a reflection of what true love is to the people that you are in relationship with. Because that's what real love is all about. It's about the other person. It's not about you. Come on, imagine for a moment what it would be like if every married person who hears this message today would learn to overcome the selfishness of our human nature and would truly love the way that Jesus taught us how to love. I'm not saying it's easy. But I'm saying that if we want to have success in our relationships, it takes two people that are willing to love each other unconditionally. Imagine if we quit trying to make our own happiness the standard of whether or not our relationships were successful. Oh, you know the worst advice a person can give someone regarding their marriage is, hey, do what you feel you deserve to be happy. That's the worst advice you could give somebody. Happiness isn't the goal of marriage. It's not. It's not about being happy. I hear that sentiment all the time. I cringe whenever I hear it because love isn't about our own happiness. Love is something you do for someone else. If you aren't married today and you think that happiness is your goal, don't get married. Don't. Because happiness is a subjective, fleeting, it's an elusive target. And what makes you happy today isn't going to make you happy tomorrow. I think Jesus gives us the great ex- greatest example of real love in the book of John when he says this in John 15. He said, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. <laughs> That's what real love is. Marriage gives us an opportunity to practice this real love. And it it produces so much more than happiness, fleeting happiness in our lives. What if we made holiness our goal instead of happiness? What if we started taking our eyes off of ourselves and we put our eyes on Jesus and then we start loving more like he loves us? What if we love others like Jesus loves us? My prayer today is that we all may learn to really love those that God has placed in our lives. And that as we do, my prayer is that it would fill us with such joy, and that it would save us from the heartache of broken relationships and false love. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I said earlier that the most important relationship that we have in our life is our relationship with Jesus. That's the most important relationship. And I don't know if we'll ever really be able to love somebody else until we realize just how much we're loved by God. And I think the type of love that we need to exhibit to one another, it's a love that only comes from God. And so I wanna pray in a moment. In fact, prayer teams, you could come and join me up at the front here as we pray. Because before we dismiss, I wanna just give an opportunity For you, if you don't know Jesus, to say yes to him today. And so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you recognize today that you may not even know what real love is, but the Spirit of God is tugging at your heart today saying, I love you. That's the way I love you. God can forgive us of every single sin. And if you today know that you are not right with God and you want to say yes to Jesus, here's what I want to ask you to do today. I'd love for you to just in a moment, before we pray together, to just lift your hand so I know that we're praying together. If you're far from God, if you're living a life that's far from God and you know that you wanna get right with God today, would you just do that now? Just lift your hand and we'll pray together in a moment. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Just lift your hand up. We're just gonna pause for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, you can put your hands down let's pray this together say Lord pray this out loud with me Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus thank you for showing me what real love is today I come to you and I admit that I'm a sinner but I believe you died for me and I believe you rose again to show how much you love me so I ask you to forgive me and come into my heart Teach me to live right, because I want to live with you forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Praise God, praise God. Can we stand together? Can we thank God for the hand that was up that said yes to Jesus? Come on, let's just say yes. To... Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Beautiful. Jesus showed us what real love is, and now it's our job to reflect that love in the relationships that we have with our spouse, with our friends, with those that we come in contact with. We have a mirror that we can look into. I encourage you to do it regularly. Look in the mirror. Is my life in alignment? Is the way I'm loving my spouse in alignment with what real love is? That's my challenge for you today as we get ready to dismiss. Church, we love you. We believe in you. We believe in your marriages. We believe in all the big days that God has for you. We believe that even in the bad days, God is with you. And so go with that. Know that you are loved. Know that God is with you. Have an incredible week serving the Lord. We'll see you next week. God bless. We're dismissed.